Welcome to the C3SYD podcast. Our heart for you is that you would know Jesus, find community and discover purpose. To find out more about our church, head to our website at c3syd.church. We hope that this message encourages you today. Thank you um, for coming to Mind, Body, Me. My name's Jacob, part of the team here, um, and I'm going to be hosting this uh, masterclass. And we have a really good variety of amazing panellists. So I want to introduce you to them all right now. But before I do, actually, I'm going to just give you a bit of an overview of what this masterclass is about. So it is a really broad subject, what we're talking about, mind, body, and me. So... This isn't like a PT, like how to, you know, live your best life and gain um, a six-pack. It's not necessarily just about um, how... (laughs) Yeah, all right. So who's leaving after that? You guys already have six-packs probably. Um, And so I guess just want to make sure that, yeah, what we're really trying to hit today is probably just looking at like a holistic approach as Christians, how to live healthy, uh, fruitful lives and... Also, we're going to touch on like our bodies as temples and what does that actually look like? What does that even mean? Um, so that's kind of the, some of the areas we're going to be talking about. And we have a, a really good variety of guests. So um, I'm going to introduce you uh, to them all. This is amazing. Jane Lee. Um, so um, Jane is a coach, like a leadership coach, but mainly like really focusing in the areas of boundaries. So what she's going to bring is going to be absolute gold for us today. Um, and uh, Jane attends our Avalon location. And you also, she does have the same last name as Pastor Alex because she's also Pastor Alex's mum, if you didn't know, okay? <laughs> but I do want to introduce that as your first thing. Yeah. Um, next we have the amazing Ryan Kerrison, okay? Um, now, your... Te- okay, I asked you just before, but it's completely slipped my mind in terms of the role that... What, what's your... You got that acronym? I've no idea. No, I'm the R&D leader in the Next Step team. Great. And then also in, from a college context as well. So um, when we had the college here and even our online college, you'd see Ryan a lot because he's very theologically savvy. Sometimes like I, I'm having lunch and then he's talking and I'm like... Is what? Is that in the Bible, really? Like, you know those things? And he goes, like, it's just very random. If you're coming in, take a seat, um, get comfortable. Um, next is the amazing Bill Trestrail. What a guy. Um, so Bill's been here at Oxford Falls location for over 20 years now, coming up to 20, 23 years. Um, he has two amazing sons. Um, and Bill is a marketplace leader He's got so much experience. He's used to do, in his bio, he sent me, he's done like crazy, like, you know, the crazy 80-hour weeks, travelling every two weeks. But, yeah, Bill's here going to be bringing uh, this perspective from, like, marketplace, how we can be in the marketplace but also living really fruitful lives with, you know, really interested to see some of um, his answers to some of these questions. And next is Lisa Moltman. Okay, so... Lisa is like a sleep educator. She has her own business. And this is really interesting because I, I didn't really know much about um, sleep. Like, does anyone know much about sleep? Like, it's important. I had a sleep last night. Like, you know, it's something that you can't... I don't know, for someone that's never had sleep issues, the importance of it. And I'm not talking about beauty sleep. No, I'm talking about like 
the actual functions um, that sleep can have and the actual benefits it has if you have the right amount, but also some of the negative impacts if you don't. So that's a bit of an introduction of... Okay, it does include beauty sleep. There you go. Great. So we should all be having extra hours anyway. Um, so... I thought today would be really good for us to start with a theological framework, right? Because that's why we're here, right? So it's really good um, that we're not just talking about... um, Because, you know, know, mind, body, and me is kind of a little bit holistic. You know, people with crystals and incense might really love this, like, thing. But we're actually not really about that. And we have a bit more of a theological stance. So I'm going to start off with you, Ryan. Um, How is our body actually connected to, like, the Bible? And what's the theology around our bodies? There's a lot. There's a whole section of it in theology called theological anthropology, which relates to the way that we are and our makeup and the way we work and the way God works with us, etc. Um, so that's a fancy word for it. Um, but uh, in, in, I guess, the, the broader terms, um, it, what can creep into Christian theology can be this idea that oh, our spirit's really important, but our body's not. Mm. Um, and so that has a name that's called, um, <laughs> that's called Christian Platonism. Uh, when, you, when you separate your spirit from your flesh or your body, like the meat of you, and, and say, hey, this, is, this one's important because it's better and special and more pure and, and, and holy. And this thing, this body, this, the meat sack that you travel around in, that, that contains the true you, <laughs> that's not as important. And, and we'll just get rid of that. At, you know, when we go to heaven, that's fine. And it's like we forsake, you know, the idea of a resurrected body like Christ. And it's like, no, no, this body's coming with us. And so I thought it, just to sum up this kind of idea, um, I've got this great quote. It says that the body should be understood as a sign, one that transmits in the visible world the invisible mystery hidden in God from all eternity. So that's like our bodies. They're, they're this visible sign of the invisible mysteries. And, and I heard someone talk recently about the way that, kind of God interacts with us and he says the reason sometimes we find some uh, prayer really difficult is because we're interacting with God through our humanity and our humanity as we'll find out I'm sure has limits has boundaries we come to those edges of our limits and they're not bad they're gifts those limits are gifts and so I think that framework of our body's not bad it's not less than our spirits it's not somehow worse off um, then we can begin to have a, a, an integrated conversation of why the body is so important, as important as our mind and our spirit, not to kind of put, pit one against the other and understand our bodies as this re- revealing thing uh, that reveals the, the true, uh, I guess, mysteries of God, right? And then we've got all this biblical data like temple, right? And um, I think we're going to talk about temple a fair bit, which is going to be very exciting. But temple is a really important theme in scripture of our bodies and the, and the impact and the importance of um, of our bodies. So yeah, this is just com- some thoughts and I think a good framework for us to begin. Awesome. Great. How do we all, that, that landed with us all? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, great. Awesome. Good, good. good. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start us off with a bit of a, a vague, open question, but from each of your points of view, which is uh, varied, what would you say the biggest challenge is in society today when it comes to people's minds and their bodies and their overall holistic well-being? Hi. <laughs> um, in many ways, I would say too much information, and therefore we're not focused on some of the really key things, which, like, it comes down to the basics. And I think we've all got too much information. Right. Uh, resiliency. Mm. So resiliency to change, to grow, to expand, to think differently, 
so the ability to handle pressure and stresses and to be able to continually to change the way we think because I think that's part of our ability to grow in both spiritually and, and, and to handle the stresses that come to us with the information overload. It's a great book that was written in the 1970s and I've suddenly forgotten its name. <laughs> Future Shock. Future Shock. And it talks about all the same issues that we would be talking about today. Right. Information overload, the speed of change in society, the breakdown of cultural norms, exactly the same. For 50 years we've been talking about the same issues. So I think it's actually about our mental resiliency. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, well, that's not awesome, but that's really good for us to know, right? <laughs> how good. Yeah, how good. Can, can you give me the question one more time? Yeah, so what do you, what are you finding? I was listening so well. Yeah, so what's the biggest uh, struggle for society when we mm. think about mind, body and me in terms of holistic health? It's a really good question. That's a really good question because I, I think... I think exactly what you've said. There's too much information, um, and, and there's, like, I, lo- I love what you just spoke about. I think that there's a um, there's almost like a, a cultural amnesia what you have when it comes to what we've what we actually um, uh, have, have learned and 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 do know about our bodies and our and how we work and our minds and things like that. And so it's like cultures just said, no, no. What matters is what you think. What you can get, what you can research, what you can learn and apply and get and, and it can work for you, that's the most important thing. We've got this cultural amnesia. We've just gone, yeah, but we came from somewhere. We knew things that are true about ourselves and things like that, but we've just forgotten them and, and, even, and even not just forgotten them but abandoned them in, in preference for the things that work for us, these little selves that walk around. So I think that's probably a, uh, one of the biggest challenges I see. Right. I might be saying the opposite to you. <laughs> yes, I love it. Go, James. <laughs> Hence the panel. Fight him. Um, I, I would say, from my point of view, um, perhaps the way that we um, relate to ourselves is important because I think oftentimes we lose ourselves beside all the external things, you know, the information and the the things and the need for resiliency and all those things because um, we're not really in touch with ourselves very well naturally. We perhaps have to learn that. Some people do it better than others. But um, this relationship, you know, we have um, the scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbour as you love yourself. It's like a a triangle here that involves um, God and others and myself. And very often we understand the God part and the others part. We don't really connect with ourselves all that well. And that would be things like our feelings, our attitudes, behaviours, our choices, our talents, our uh, gifts, our limits are also, as you're saying, a gift, right? And so um, I think that's a very big issue in life today and it's something that I've had to grow myself in to do life better. Yeah, that's so good. While I've got got the mic, I have a question for you regarding just with boundaries because does anyone really suffer with not having any boundaries or having (laughs) boundaries in their life? I definitely do. In a whole different realm of um, Mm. whether it be like what I'm doing socially, what I'm doing from a work capacity, we've got so many things that we are busy, which we'll talk about soon because Bill hates the word busy. But um, (laughs) so from, from your point of view, Jane, is establishing boundaries, do you think that's like a nature thing or a nurtured thing? Um, mm, I think it's probably both. It's um, 
By nature, actually, that's a great question. By nature, God is the source of boundaries. God is himself limited and he limits himself to relate to us. Um, God is also, um, in the heart of boundaries really belongs in God because he, he is the source of everything. And to have a boundary means I must, I must know what that is. A boundary belongs to an owner. It's really about a property line. So a, um, a property has an owner who has control, who is responsible for the property. And the same is true for our own lives. If I and, you know, my life is my property that I steward before God. God's the owner, but I am the steward. So therefore I have control and that gives me um, the need to be responsible um, for this, this life. So I am the owner who has control, who is responsible. And that's how God is. He is the owner who has control and he is responsible. And he has expressed that through the Bible in countless ways, which we could go into at some point. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. That's really helpful. I think one thing that's interesting, just changing this to more of like the physical side of things and boundaries is, yeah, in the area of sleep. So this one's for you, Lisa. So when we like, does anyone like choose? We all choose when we go to bed, right? Usually, right? And so unless your mum's still tucking you into bed. Um, So Lisa, why is sleep, uh, I guess, why is it good to have some boundaries when it comes to like sleep? Because obviously there's so many, there's so much good physical, mental, emotional things that come from having um, significant, uh, the right amount of sleep. But can you just give us a bit of a framework of what does like good sleep look like? What does a good sleep look like? So that you wake up feeling refreshed the next day. And you're able to function well. So you were talking... Is there like an hours on that? There is an hours on that. Great. What is that? For teenagers, for younger children, it's all different. Depending on what age they are. For teenagers, it's eight to ten hours. And a lot of them look at me and go, are you for real? Um, And for adults, it's seven to nine hours. But there are... Yeah, I'm for real. Um, So that good good eight hours, seven and a half hours. Uh, But there are a percentage of people who are called short sleepers. We've all heard of those who can get away with four to six hours of sleep and still function amazingly. But just recognise that that's only about 2 to 3% of the population. So maybe half of you and one half of a person in here. Um, but the rest of us end up in that wannabe short sleeper. Right, wannabe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting. Let's just quickly take a poll. How many people here have under eight hours sleep? Does that mean in bed or asleep? Asleep. Asleep, scrolling like for the two hours. Yeah, exactly. Before. Yeah, in that's... bed. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, sorry. Let me do that poll again. Who has who is getting um, under eight hours a night? Wow, that's at least fifty percent. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So then, to those people, what are the negative impacts if I don't get that amount of sleep? Oh, we're going to send some fear through here. No, we don't <laughs> want to do that because that's one thing that happens is when people. When people focus on their sleep too much, it can actually backfire, so you can become anxious about your sleep. So when I run workshops in corporations and schools, it's called the Sleep Connection, and it's about the connection, sleeping for better health, resilience and performance. So those are the three key areas that sleep impacts and that I talk about. Out of those, my passion is talking about mental health, the impact of mental health, no, sleep on mental health, because we're constantly seeing a rise in even younger kids, in our teens and adults, and so it's understanding the impact of sleep on our mental health. 
so I can give a bit of an explanation yeah, if you want because yeah. it is a key area. So the reason that sleep impacts our mental health is it impacts parts of our brain responsible for our mood, our decision-making, stress levels, feelings of anxiety and depression and even empathy, everyone. Hands up those who loves being around people more and loves people more when they're sleep-deprived. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> Bill, he's... Yeah, yeah. They keep me awake. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the two parts of our brain that are Im impacted. First, it's called the prefrontal cortex. You don't need to remember that, but just remember it's responsible for the logical part of your thinking. So your rational thinking, your decision-making. When you don't get enough sleep, that part of the brown brain dims down and doesn't work as effectively. You do not want that happening in your teens because that part of the brain is still forming. I can think of some very silly things I did in my teens. And Richard Forsyth, he's my brother, so he did some pretty stupid things too. Um, so that part of the brain dims down, but the opposite happens in our emotional part of the brain. That overreacts. So when I ask a group of people how they feel when they don't get enough sleep, I could ask you, but I won't. They say, I feel angry, I feel moody, um, and that part of the brain is overreacting. And over a period of time, these two parts of the brain don't talk very well together. And we tend to think more negatively than positively, simply from not getting enough sleep. And if you think that four out of 10 adults are not getting enough sleep and 70% of teens, and we have a rise in anxiety and depression, then these two are closely linked. So we need to start getting onto this. And lastly, just in relation to our stress levels, um, just so you know, stress plays a really good role in our life. We all need stress in our life to keep pushing us out of our comfort zone to achieve things that we wouldn't normally want to achieve. Sorry, we wouldn't normally not, not want to achieve. No, I'm just, get that no, right. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that's called optimal performance level of stress, which is where we want to be. But one thing that can quickly flip us from that positive level to negative level and overwhelm is lack of sleep. So the next day... I'm nearly finished, don't worry, Jacob. I'm nearly finished. So the next day, you'll have higher levels of cortisol going around in your body and become more overwhelmed about things that normally wouldn't bother you. So just thinking about those two key things. Yeah, wow. Um, I have a personal question. I'm asking for a friend uh, of a oh, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when it comes to people that are like... Uh, we've all heard of the phrase morning people. Like, they get yeah. out of bed singing. Yeah. And then um, you've got those other people Less. that, like like my wife, <laughs> that you're not meant to really talk to for two hours? Yes. Is that like a... Is that a... Is, does that have anything to do with our sleeping patterns or yep. like... Is, does that mean she's not getting enough sleep and I'm getting heaps or is it like a natural wiring? Is it's that an actual thing? Genetic. We have what's called a chronotype. Okay. Explain that a little bit more. So I is will. it healthy and normal? <laughs> so we all have a different natural body clock. So some of us are ultra early birds, like I was speaking to someone the other day who naturally gets up at 4.35 and gets their best work done. And then you have the in-betweens who are that general 10 to 6, and then you have people who are night owls and their best work's done in the evening. So getting to know where your chronotype is is a good thing because that's when you do your best work. That's why during COVID it was quite good because people could actually lean into what their chronotype was versus getting to work at Sparrows when that was wow. not really working for them. Yeah, wow, that's actually really insightful and yeah. helpful. Yeah, awesome. All right, Bill, this is for you because you hate the word busy um, and I've been in Bill's Connect group and then I, I once made the mistake of um, saying, he's like, oh, how are you? I'm like, I'm pretty busy. And then he was just like, shared this whole revelation on it. <laughs> and I felt really convicted after it. And I was like, 
that was it was a really good like kind of slap in the face about busyness because I think in today's society we all use that word regardless if you're busy or not like we can easily fill our day with stuff so Bill can you share your busy revelation well, it started when we moved to Sydney uh, 23 years ago. Roz noticed a lot of things, so she saw patterns and then she explained them to me, then I had the revelation. So, <laughs> um, just, just to put it into So this context, is Roz's revelation. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not taking the credit. Um, but we, we noticed whenever we asked people how they were, they said busy, and we're sort of like, this is different. What? And it sort of seems to come from a stem of of actually valuing yourself. You need to be busy or seem to be busy to be valuable to society. But more often than not, it just becomes a, an answer that we give. And if you say you're busy, how do you feel when you say it? Busy. You, you go, oh, busy. And so we sort of started thinking about it. Well, why are we saying we're busy as opposed to what should we be saying? Are you busy because you're out of control? Are you busy because... You know, often I take it as, uh, you're busy, you don't want to talk to me, you don't want to tell me how you really are, you don't have time, we can't connect. So we saw it as a barrier to connection. And so when someone says they're busy, uh, I was going to invite you around for dinner, but you're too busy. I don't want to add to your busyness. So busy comes a barrier when you use that word. You might be busy, or you might have a full schedule, or you might have a schedule you can't control because of certain circumstances. And there's times in our life when that happens, when you've got kids and you're running from one end of town to the other, doing all sorts of stuff and trying to hold down a job and etc. There's things you can't control and you go through seasons where you can't control your busyness. But mostly we can choose to not be as busy. We can choose to have some, barriers, some boundaries and not be busy. So we started saying when someone asks how we were, we're fantastic. And it's, it makes you feel better just to say it. <laughs> it makes you feel lighter and it makes them feel better. And so even sometimes when you're not feeling fantastic, you start feeling more fantastic when you say it. Or how are you? I'm loving life. Or I'm, I've, got a, I'm, I've got an absolutely full schedule but loving it. You know, whatever. But talk about how you're feeling rather than just saying busy, because busy has become an automated response. I like to also, when people ask questions, say that, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, can I help you at a shop? And, and that's just like an automated question. So I say things like, oh, no, I was born like this. And it, and it gets people stopping and thinking and interacting with you. You have a smile on your face while you're saying it. And, and you suddenly, you, you interrupt their world. <laughs> With positivity. And so it's just trying to be positive and, and just answering things. You know, just when people ask questions that are a bit automated and they're just wanting an automated response, I think we should not give them an automated response. In fact, I don't think we should ever give an automated response to questions. So, because we want connection with people, we want authentic connection. I love that. That's, it was such a great... Where I remember when you shared to me about that specifically, it was definitely a moment because each time I say the word busy, I slap myself on the wrist, go, Bill wouldn't, let, like, wouldn't like that. But it's, it's just, and, it's and, actually and, a really good And I good say it thing. occasionally too and then I have to slap myself. Yeah, I think it's just really good for us to remind us because, Jane, I'll go to you. In terms of boundaries and our busyness and us, like, how, 
how do you actually personally and practically manage your busyness um, and managing boundaries? How does that how does that look from a practical point? Mm, um, being busy, I think. Um taking stock of what is priorities and what is of value because we do life out of what we believe and what we value and um, getting our priorities of our values in order is um, a very good help to, you know, decide what is important to do and where do I put my energy because energy is finite and um, how do I manage me? And that's really the essence of boundaries is the fruit of the spirit of self-control. That's where we find it. And so I can be in control of myself. I will do life much better. That's so good, Bill. You had something else to add to that? This was probably from Roz too. (laughs) Um, I think understanding a bit about ourselves and what our strengths are. There's a a brilliant... um, psychological test called uh, Clifton Strength Finder and it identifies 34 different strengths. And there's certain people who have responsibility as a strength and those people, if they've got something on their, tech, on their to-do list, they will n- not feel comfortable going home until it's all done. And they push themselves too hard. And employers will often give that person more tasks because they always get it done and it makes their life worse. At one stage in my career, I realised that I could work, I think I was about 28 or 29, I reckon I could work 28 hours a day, 10 days a week, and I'd never get everything done. And so at that stage, that realisation, I made a decision that I was going to limit my hours, and if I didn't get enough done and they fired me, then good luck to them, find someone else who can. But if it's impossible for me to do in the hours that I'm prepared to work, then that's bad luck. And I remember that year having a performance review with the CEO and I thought I was going to be in deep doo-doo, you know, because he kept asking me, asking information and asked me for information and I think I did about 25% of the things he asked me to do. And I sat down in the performance review and he said, you're the only person who does everything I ever ask. And I thought, wow, I'm glad I picked the right 25%. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but it's sort of just it is the barriers of making decisions and uh, understanding the environment you're in to make those sort of choices. Yeah. Does that make sense? But yeah. understanding yourself is a critical part of it. Understanding your strengths because if you're someone who takes responsibility and ha- you know, has one of those two or three execution strengths that you don't feel good about yourself unless you get everything off your to do list, then you've got to have people around you to help you moderate what you put on your to-do list. Uh, otherwise, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate that. that um, Ryan, this one's for you because we, we've read in the Bible about, um, you know, our bodies being a temple. And I don't know about you, if you've ever, like, looked at yourself in the mirror, are you like, well, this is a good temple? Like, have, have you, like, ever been like, what's... Are you really happy being in your body? Um, this is more like a physical body question. So what does it actually mean um, when the Bible refers to us as like a temple? And how should we treat it? This is such a good question. Um, if you, uh, my brain's just like, tell them everything. <laughs> then I come in and I'm like, no, that's not going to be good. But the Bible starts um, in the garden. And it's really funny because at the, the very end of the creation story in Genesis, um, God creates humanity. 
and he, and he, and he says, um, I made them in my image. And it's funny, if you study ancient Near Eastern literature that looks like Genesis, um, when people build or when, when people build temples, the last thing that they do on that very end of the temple building day, it usually takes them seven days in these stories, the last thing they do is they put an image of the God that that temple is built for or dedicated to inside of that temple. And so God kind of puts this image of himself inside this beautiful garden, this temple. And it's really beautiful. And, and, and so the Bible begins with a temple, begins right in that space. And then we see the Old Testament narratives that we build a temple uh, that begins in the seed form as a tabernacle. And then that tabernacle, which just means God's resting place, which is an enormous clue for us of what this what it means to be a temple, right? And then we see the physical temples, you know, the first, first temple is destroyed and the second temple, which is around the time of Jesus. And then that gets destroyed in AD 70. And then we get Paul's letters and he's like, hey guys, treat your body like a temple. Don't do profane things that you wouldn't do in a temple in your body or to your body or with your body. And then Peter picks up this thing and he says, you guys are like living stones. You know what I mean, iPhone users here? When you long press on an iPhone and the tiles start jiggling, you know that one? You're trying to rearrange them. That's like, I think like Peter's like, you're living stones. <laughs> Just wiggling like that. I love that, right? You're like, we're, like these living stones built on the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of Jesus. And then we fast forward to the book of Revelation and the holy city with, at the center of which is a temple. And so we have this idea of temple. And then we have this saying, the body is a temple, and what we mean when we say the body is a temple is not just that we should care about our body, but what's actually being said there, and that's from Paul's letters usually when we're trying to talk about it, um, is actually, hey, all of that theological depth and richness, all of what Israel was doing with the temple, what God had intended for the temple, what happened to the temple when Jesus was resurrected and broke Right, and we got access to that holy of holies. What the temple was facilitating is now what the body is revealing. And that quote that I started at, that the body being physical reveals the inner invisible mysteries of God. I think that's getting at the part of what we mean when the body, when we say the body is a temple. And so the body becomes a place, a place for the presence of God to dwell, to exist. And we speak about that through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us in the same way that God's presence was dwelling in the garden, it was dwelling in the tabernacle, it was dwelling in the temple of God, and it will dwell for all eternity in the great city of Jerusalem. And so all of that's kind of jam-packed and shoehorned into what we say when we mean the body is a temple. I don't know where to go from there. No, that's awesome. That's, that's a really good, yeah, great synopsis of, yeah. yeah. So then I guess the next question for us all is, how should we be treating our temple? Mm. What does that look like in each of your areas um, that you kind of specialise in as a temple? Like what, what does that look like for, yeah, for us here today that might be stressed, busy, tired? Um, some words that you guys probably just cringe at a little bit. So, yeah, what, I, I, this is probably like the practical question of what are some practical keys in your field that you'd be recommending? So I guess when you're tired, you can be stressed and anxious and... If you wake up the next morning, for example, you are less likely to feel positive. So even towards praying, even towards God, even towards exercise, you're less likely to exercise, for example. So I don't know where else I'm going there. 
What was the question again? Just like from like a, even from a sleep point of view. Yep. And um, just looking after our bodies as a temple. Yeah. yeah. Some, and if we're we're not really looking after our bodies yeah, yeah. Um, in the sleep area, for example. Yep. What would that look like? Yeah. In some ways to start developing some healthy habits. Yeah. So just getting the right amount of sleep, which I'll get to the tips later. But we're also talking about sleep in relation to physical health and sleep impacts all parts of our physical health. It impacts our immune system. It impacts um, just repair of our body happens every night. And all in adults in particular, the impact on our cardiovascular system when you don't get enough sleep, the impact on lack of a few nights of lack of sleep ends up um, putting you in a pre-diabetic state. Um, When we don't get enough sleep, it can lead to brain diseases, even such as Alzheimer's, um, when you're not getting enough sleep. So... Is anyone, like, learning so much? Like, I I was like, whoa, I really need to get to bed. Like, (laughs) that's really insightful. No fear-mongering here. Yeah, but, like, I didn't know any of that. I was like, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm just tired the next day. But the actual, yeah, yeah, impact on that um, long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Adding a practical thing, as you get a little older, um, as you approach your 50s, your body stops producing as much melatonin. And melatonin is the hormone that helps us get to sleep, I believe, or manage our circadian rhythms. I don't know anything about sleep, but that's what my doctor tells me. And um, the the thing I was going to talk about is actually the amount of coffee and the amount of alcohol we have as we're approaching our 50s actually dramatically impacts the ability of our body to produce melatonin. So... Yeah, the amount that's a practical thing we can do is limit our coffee and alcohol intake as we're getting older because it impacts the the body's production of melatonin, according to my doctor. Yeah, because I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lisa, you mentioned that you'd cover some tips for those. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, who wants to know some of the tips? I'm really keen. Tell us what are some of the tips. So, firstly. Actually prioritise your sleep. No, firstly, find what's your motivation. So often I'll say to people, what's going to motivate you to improve your sleep? For some, it'll be their energy. For some, it'll be their mental health. For some, it'll be stress levels, physical health. So what's your motivation? And then start actually prioritising your sleep. So really basic, work out what time you're going to want to wake up in the morning and move the clock backwards, what time you're going to go to sleep. So it doesn't mean what time you're going to go to bed by, which is what Lisa was saying before. It's actually what time you're going to be asleep by. Uh, so firstly, just prioritise and plan. Uh, secondly, lots of you got your phones out. Get your phone out of your bedroom. Oh, <laughs> I meant to have a real alarm clock sitting here. So uh, getting a real alarm clock, I've got Emma who's about to do her HSC. She's never had her phone in her room and we've never had an argument about that. She just knows she feels so much more chilled, not thinking, oh, I wonder if there's another message. So for some of you who are having challenges falling asleep too, having that phone beside your bed, it's like the whole world of information just sitting there. So even if you think, well, I'm not actually on it, the fact that you've been on it all day and that's alerting you and going, oh, I wonder if this, I wonder if that, having it sitting there, even if it's not on, can be a trigger for people not being able to sleep. I feel like lots of us in the room would go to bed with our phone next to us. Who, who yeah, who does, yeah, who treats it as their alarm? Who's, who's on their phone before, like, you're in bed but you're just scrolling? Okay. How many are on, when they wake up, they go straight to their phone? After your Bible, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, I feel like it's so much... This is so ingrained. Yep. Like, it's probably the thing that's in our hands the most. Yep. Yeah. And does anyone else get phone anxiety when you're not kind of close to it? Yeah. Does that mean you take it to the toilet, Jacob? 
No, that's where yeah. I do draw the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah but I know that some people here that definitely yeah. would do that. I think it's called nomophobia or something. Really? Random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. No, okay. Yeah. Sorry, continue. I just thought it was really interesting because yes. I know that people do use it as their alarm, therefore yeah. probably look at investing in yeah, an yeah. alarm clock. I just have it waiting for my 21-year-old here to come home. Okay. So annoying. <laughs> what other, tip, what other yeah. tips would you have um, okay. with the phone out of the room? Phone out of the room. Um, be off your phone. If you do find it challenging falling asleep, then stay off your phone for a good half an hour before you go to sleep because it's all that alerting. Some of you are fine. You just use it and you fall asleep. Um, having a consistent bedtime. So, yes, you need to party on the weekends. You need to enjoy yourselves. But keep your body clock within about one to two hours. So your body clock absolutely loves consistency. And a lot of people might sleep in on the weekend, not if you come to Sunday morning church, but a lot of people I see their sleep diaries and they're sleeping until 11 o'clock on the weekend. Some of you go, I wish. Um, the next day you're getting up for work or school. I talk to a lot of teenagers. They're getting up four hours than they did, earlier than they did on Sunday, which is called social jet lag. But instead of that four hours putting you in Fiji, it's put you in front of your teachers going, oh, my gosh. Um, so just keep it relatively consistent. Um, to do with the alcohol and caffeine, I'm glad that Bill could be the messenger that you shoot about that. Um, but just recognising that alcohol, and I do love the sound of a champagne cork popping, but a lot of the time it sedates your sleep. So you're not you're more sedated. Rather than going through your lovely light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep, so you're being sedated, so it impacts your beautiful deep sleep. So you wake up in the morning going, oh, I don't feel so great. And it might be more the lack of sleep than the alcohol to an extent. So what have I said? So plan it, consistent. Key, absolute key one is focus on your time management. So a lot of what we do does not add up to 24 hours. So the first place we take time from is sleep, which comes back to boundaries. Um, and if you've got children, just help them with their time management. We've got so many things going on in our world. Just actually do a timetable. Do it for yourselves as well. Do a timetable so you can actually look at where there's blank spots and go, do I really need to be doing that instead of stealing my sleep time? So there's probably lots of others, but anyway. No, that's good. That's really helpful. Thank you. Really, Very practical. Um, Jane, over to you. Um, so this is a boundaries question. What is like when you have somebody, when you're doing some coaching, what are some of the um, areas where you're kind of like, oh, we, we need to focus in on that? Um, and what would you say is like a common thing or a common theme that you're finding today when you're coaching somebody uh, with, when it comes to boundaries? Yes. Um, I think perhaps the blurring of responsibility issues. So um, actually boundaries as an overview are designed to protect love. And they're not, they're not designed to control other people or circumstances. They are the control of myself, which is the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Um, but um, very often, um, there's like a bridge. I could draw it for you in the air. It's like, uh, pretend we have the harbour bridge here. And we have, um, there's the harbour bridge. And there we have two pylons on the other side. And uh, one pylon is the responsibility for myself and the other pylon is the responsibility to love others. And so there are only two responsibilities in life, but very often we blur those and so we become responsible for others and we actually don't get to ourselves or we're so responsible for ourselves that we never get to others. So on this bridge, there is a road 
that uh, we are designed to flow freely and flexibly across the road. So we have responsible for me and responsible to love others. And um, what happens is we get rigidly attached to one end or the other. I see that a lot in um, talking with people. So this rigid attachment to one end means I, um, I am rigidly attached to being responsible for myself only, which is another word for self-centred. <laughs> and so I, I really don't come out of my um, centeredness around myself and that leads to you know a continuum of the road which is goes down to other places where we're trapped in injury and um, are commonly called narcissism but that's a word that's bandied around and uh, it's really only diagnosed by a professional so not to use it so freely. And then the other end is um, where I am rigidly attached to loving other people. And um, this means that I actually never come across the bridge to myself. And when I do that, and I'm rigidly attached here, I actually have a self-love deficit disorder. And so if I can't come back and remove freely and flexibly across the bridge, there'll be a lack of well-being in our lives, generally speaking. And so that's probably something that I find big, a big thing. And this understanding of love, that love is, um, there's like a word equation. Love equals freedom. <laughs> freedom plus responsibility equals love. Freedom's about choice and responsibility is there are two parts, responsible for me and responsible to love you. And that is what love is. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. No, you keep, hang on. You hold on to that. I've got, I've got a question for you. So then if somebody is struggling with that, um, I don't know, sometimes maybe I could be really wrong with this assumption, but maybe in Christendom we may be more focused on others, some would uh-huh. say. Yes. So yeah. how, do we, how do you get the balance? Yeah. Practically. Um, there's, there's a quote that comes with the gentleman, doctor, who made that illustration, um, he, he says a quote that um, this, getting this right, these responsibility issues clear, are the energy from which all other energies are best considered. And that's a secular statement, but it's nonetheless true that if we don't get that right, we don't do all the other parts of our life, eating, sleeping, breathing, working, playing, um, relating to God. When we get these wrongly placed, we don't relate to God properly, we don't relate to ourselves properly, and we don't relate to others properly. And what was the question? (laughs) No, practically in terms of those, Um, how do we get in the middle of the Harbour Bridge is probably what I'm really asking. So to get that balance right, we we have to recognise, first of all, that we are rigidly attached somewhere. And if we're not free and flexible to move across that bridge, we um, we can do some things. We can firstly recognising awareness is is an open door to going forward always for everything, and so um, we can do what the Bible says as, as repent. And so repentance is a wonderful gift, and repent just means one John one line one nine. I love that scripture. One John one nine. If I, um, it says confess your sin really just means to agree with the truth about where I missed the mark. So I've missed the mark here by being rigidly attached to one end of the bridge. So I can say to God, I recognise that. And I now come to repent. Repent means to perceive afterwards, to realise that I'm actually not in a good uh, place. I'm positionally out of order. And then I come and reposition myself by choice and I ask God to forgive me. First 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to part 
part A, number one, forgive my sin. And that means He will wash me clean and the blood of Jesus and the Word of God will renew my mind and transform the way I think about these things. And then He says, I will cleanse you from the unrighteousness of it. So He gives me, He does a work. When I bring it to God, He will do a work. I don't have to struggle with that. I will accept the grace of God into my life and recognise that I need, I'm not self-sufficient, I need God to come and do a work of the Holy Spirit in me, when I recognise that I missed the mark anywhere in life. And that is one of those places. So good. That's really helpful. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, Can I tag yeah, please. on that? Because that, that, everything you described fits neatly into, the, I think, the paradigm of um, to, to be human, to be a human is to have the nature of a human. And I know that's the most profound statement you're going to hear all day. <laughs> but that's what, it, that's what it means. It means to have the nature of being a human. And nature is like this beautiful thing that we're talking about. Like you don't get sleep, the natural occurrence will be, you know, all these horrid things, right? Um, yeah, you go to Bill's place for dinner and tell him you're busy and he will naturally tell you <laughs> you're not. <laughs> you're disorganized, right? No, but, but there's, a, there's a nature to our humanity. And I think that often we can get, in Christian land, we can get a little bit like, um, God doesn't want my nature, he wants me to be like him, perfect. And it's like, and then I can come to him and then he can bless me and then I can be awesome. Um, but it's like, he actually wants your human nature, your true human nature. And C.S. Lewis talks about it in his book, um, Until We Have Faces. And it's this beautiful story. But right at the end, there's this, there's this moment where it's like this, this character wants the blessings of the gods, right? I really want the blessings. I want, more, I want everything that the gods have got for me. And it's this moment where, where she, up until this point, she's not had a face. She's not really actually been her true nature in front of or, or toward the gods. And so it's like, they, they can't. And so at this moment, she, she gives her face to God. She reveals her true nature herself and the gods pour out the blessing. And it's this interesting thing when we interface with God outside of our nature, or you might say, with going beyond the, the limits, right? When we try and expand, uh, interfa- interfa- interface with God beyond our limits, it's like, well, I want to bless you, not, not who you think I want to bless. I actually want to bless your human nature and everything that that is. And I think you can kind of get out a little bit janky, a little bit out of shape if we, if we try and, oh God, I, I think this is what you want me to be. So I'm going to grab that and insert that nature instead. And so when I come to prayer, I'm praying out of this limit and all that sort of thing. So yeah, anyway, it's a beautiful paradigm. I just wanted to share that. Bill's got a thought. Well, just on that, um, I think I spent 25 years of my Christian walk uh, feeling that God was disillusioned with me and, um, and feeling incongruity, and this causes anxiety, between what I thought I needed to be for God and what I could actually be. And so it was actually took me a long time to actually realise that God wasn't expecting, God wasn't disillusioned with me because of my imperfections and my constant screwing up of the same things and, you know, and my humanity. God was not disillusioned with me and it took a long time to really get to that point, firstly to understand it and then to to live through that. And part of it was, um, well, there's a whole lot of it, but part of it was theology and part of it was the way I perceived God was. And so I actually think one of the most important things for us in just about everything we've talked about 
is the way we think about God and how we think about God and how we think God thinks about us and understanding our identity in God and who he sees us to be and being comfortable that God, and you know, it took it's probably seven years ago was the first time I could honestly say that God made me perfectly to be Bill Trestrail. That's a long way from being perfect. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm a long, long way from perfect. But to get to the point to say that God made me perfectly with my strengths to be the person I'm supposed to be, he made me with everything I needed to be that person. And not to be disillusioned when I compare myself to other people. Comparison's a great thing. Not. Um, so, but to actually really understand that God made us perfectly to be who he expects us to be. I love that. How refreshing is that to know that and to have that revelation? Yeah, that's a really good reminder. It's changed my world. Yeah. Um, Bill, I want to ask you a question. Um, you've... You had cancer in the past. You've had somewhat of a stressful year with lots of change. Life is full of highs and lows, um, and it's really easy to sometimes blame God when bad things happen. And it's also like really easy to be up on the mountain when you know you're. Um, pray, you can praise God when you're high up on the mountain, but um, praising Him in the valley is kind of difficult. It can be very difficult. Um, what would how? How have you been a Christian for so long, going through some high highs but some really lows, low lows, sorry? Uh, firstly, I'd say what appears to be your low is often your highest time with God. And so, um, you know, when I got cancer, um, I ended up, so this was in 2007, and um, about three days into it, I'm a positive person naturally. So when they told me I had cancer, I was in a bit of shock, but I said, oh, they'll rip it out. I'll go into hospital. I'll sort it out. I'll, I'll be fine. You know? um, and then about three days later, I started doing some research. I had several types of thyroid cancer. So thyroid cancer is a good one to get if you're going to get it in most cases, but because um, the treatment's pretty good. Um, anyway, I, I started consulting Dr. Google, and the second one I had you know, has a much smaller chance of survival if the growth is five centimetres. And I looked at the pathology report, and my growth was 4.9 centimetres. And I thought, <laughs> this could be serious. And I started worrying. I wasn't worrying about, I wasn't really worrying about dying. I was actually worried about leaving the family and not leaving them quite where I wanted to. Um, and so. Um, Anyway, I, I woke up one morning and I just opened the Bible at three o'clock in the morning when I should have been asleep, <laughs> repairing my body. Um, and I just slipped open the Bible and God just, he, he did something supernatural in me. And he basically, and I opened it to Ephesians 3.16. Anyone, anyone quote Ephesians 3.16? It's not a, not a verse anyone talks about. But it says, uh, it's the start of a Pauline prayer which says, uh, I'll paraphrase it, but I pray that from the unlimited resources of the Holy Spirit that God will strengthen your inner man. And at that moment, I felt like steel was put into my spirit. And I had at that moment, I didn't know whether I was going to live or die, but I knew if I was going to die, I was going to die really well. And I was going to deal really well with lots of peace. And God just did something in me. And so what, what I learned through that experience was that God in his, well, two things, but I'll start with this one. God in his power could have stopped me getting cancer. In his wisdom, 
I got cancer and he became something for me that he could not have done, he could never have become my strength in that way if I didn't get cancer. So what that taught me is that we go through situations and when we come into a circumstance, often we go, please, Lord, heal me or do this for me or do that for me, get me out of the circumstance. But actually, God actually has something for us in those moments. And our question should be, what are you up to? What are you wanting to become for me in this time that you couldn't become if I wasn't going through this? And I think God becomes something for us that changes our lives. And then we have that in us to give to other people. So now I, part of my identity is I'm strong in God. Right? And I know my, part of my spiritual identity is God's strength is within me. And now I can stand with other people and I can give that strength to other people. So that's the first piece. That, so when we get into a situation, like when Ros passed away, um, the first thing I did the next morning is when I got up early, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't slept at all, but I, I got up and um, I just I had to centre myself in God. And all I could think of was be still and know that I am God. And for several days, all I did was meditated on that. I found a piece of music uh, that Christian Jones here put together. Um, it's part of a group called Old Friends called Clarity. And in there that talks about being still and know I'm God. And so, so from that point, I, had, I was centred in God to go through, which is probably the most traumatic thing I'll have to go through. Um, and, uh, and, and God became... He was my piece all the way through that, but he's becoming something special for me through this process. So I think there's that aspect. One other thing I feel that we as a church, and I'm going to quote Bill Johnson on this, but he, he says, we often say God's in control and God has complete authority, but he gives us control. He gave us control of the earth and he gives us control of our lives. So when bad things happen to us, it's not because God made them happen. So from my perspective, bad things happen like illness happens because of sin, not because of God. And we as humans sinned and gave control of the earth. So um, I always feel like I'm not going to blame God and I've never felt to blame God about any of these things personally. I've just gone recognise he's God and that's just, I just know he is God. And no matter what happens, he is God. If I'm going to die with this cancer, he is still God. And I know where I'm going. So it's actually as soon as you centre yourself in God, he can then start doing what he wants to do. And so I think that to me is just is finding that place where you just sit in, the, in God and rely on God and go run to him whenever shitty stuff happens. Excuse my language, but yeah, I'm not a minister. <laughs> Sorry. No. I, I'm quite real. <laughs> Sorry. No, I Apologies if my language is too flowery for anyone. Um, but stuff happens, right? And, um, and I've found through that theology of when I'm in a situation, rather than asking God to get out of me, which is our natural, get me out of it, my questions to God, there's three questions I think we should always ask. What are you up to in this situation, God? What are you wanting me to change and what are you wanting to become for me in this situation? 
And so as that, that third one, what are you wanting to become for me, is a really interesting question because there's so many aspects to God, there's so many promises that God has for us and those promises are to be experienced and we experience them in times often when it's less than ideal situations. So for me, less than ideal situations are the time I'm closest to God and where I'm inquiring of him about what he's doing. And then I experience a newness in God, something new. One stage I went through a season where um, God became my contentment. And at that time, I didn't have much money at all. He wasn't my provider in that season. He was my contentment. Now, I wanted him to be my provider. (laughs) But he became my contentment. And that was a really important lesson for me. So, sorry, I'll, I'll... I'm a bit like Alex. I like the sound of my voice. It's good. It's good. Thank you, Bill. I just so appreciate your transparency and your honesty. Um, yeah, we're so thankful for it and so much wisdom as well through that all. What we're going to do is we're going to have Jane close in prayer, but I know that there's probably a lot of questions that you guys might want to ask. So we will stay up here. Um, so if you want to ask a question, please come and ask. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We come to you and bring all that we have discussed and taught and learnt and felt and thought. And Father, we ask you that you would speak to us individually about these things and highlight anything that we can take action on and that we would be able to um, take take the meat and chew it up and find uh, some processing ability to make something different in our lives. Father, we thank you for your presence, uh, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for working in us, that you have a plan and a purpose for every heart and life. And Lord, it's good. And you said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will stay in the house of the Lord. And so, Lord, as we just stay with you, that you will you will help us through, you will take us through all the things in life that are difficult, the highs and the lows, and you'll... Um, Psalm 23 comes to mind, and I would just encourage you to chew on that scripture too and um, let the Lord process with you some of these things and thank you Father for sealing that Lord Holy Spirit for sealing that in our lives that you'll give us action that we can take and do and Lord blessing on everyone that's been here Father we pray that you would minister your love and your spirit to each of us in Jesus name Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the C3 SYD podcast. To make sure you don't miss out on our next podcast, click subscribe. If you want to find out more about following Jesus, get connected or find a C3SYD location near you, head to c3syd.church forward slash connect with us. Don't forget you can find us on YouTube and Instagram at c3.syd. We look forward to having you back soon.